Hi, this is Steve Wexler, author of The Big Picture, How to Use Data Visualization to Make Better Decisions Faster, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today on episode 399 is Steve Wexler. Steve Wexler is the founder of Data Revelation and has worked with ADP, Gallup, Johnson & Johnson, Deloitte, and many other organizations to help them understand and share important messages hidden in their data. Tableau Zen Master and IronViz winner, Steve also serves on the advisory board to the Data Visualization Society and is co-host of the really interesting webinar series, Chart. His presentations and training classes are designed to raise your productivity mastery combined with real-world applications. He has taught thousands of people who work in small businesses, mid-sized companies, and well-known enterprises. Steve lives outside of New York City and is here to talk about his book, The Big Picture, How to Use Data Visualization to Make Better Decisions Faster. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Bill. Thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? I know this is a question you start with, I think, all of your your excellent podcasts. Part of me wonders, has anyone ever come up with something like Joseph Stalin or something like that and just really surprised you with that? No, that is not someone who's influenced me. There are three that immediately come to mind. In fourth grade, I had a, a very good teacher named Mario Messi and... I was a really late reader and he took an interest with this and got me to read it. I remember the book that he recommended was called The Pushcart War. That then led to reading A Wrinkle in Time and The Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler. This was huge for me, for anyone developing an appreciation and love of reading. He also didn't accept bad work from me. You know, that I said, you are capable of doing better than this and wouldn't let me get away with it. In fourth grade, he made me literate, and that's going to play into discussion of data visualization or embracing literacy, also inculcated a very good work ethic. I remain grateful to him to this day. It's amazing the impact that teachers can have when they not only support you, but ask you to do more, ask you to go further. Can you remember a time when you were challenged with something, maybe after you've left school, after Princeton, in an early work experience, where you either remembered the experience he had, or as you were about to have a conversation or an interaction with somebody, that sense of being able to support someone and challenge them to go further came back to you. That's interesting that you're saying this. I'm thinking about my co-authors on the other book, The Big Book of Dashboards. These are now my co-hosts, along with Amanda McCulloch. She's the executive director of the Data Visualization. Society, the series chat that we do once a month. It's a live webinar, but we also record it. Other people can inspire you to do your best work. You're seeing, oh my gosh, these people are good. They're diligent. They're putting in extra effort. And I don't want to be the person that is bringing other people down. Just watching that and seeing they're doing such good work, they're inspiring me to be my best. In other situations, This has influenced me working with a new group of people. I don't want to drag people down. What can I do to lift others up? This has nothing to do with data visualization. It's more just the dynamic and seeing 
the impact that someone with them who does really good work diligently and wants to contribute to the cause can lift others up and get them to be doing their best work. I'm going to highlight that, Steve, because listeners know that you can't encourage others as well if you're not taking care of your responsibilities. And you've found that to be true in your experience too. You had to really be diligent in your work and then encourage others. You can't just stand on the sidelines and encourage people. You've got to be able to show that you've put in the time and the work to produce great results yourself and then it becomes easier you carry that authority no matter what your title would you say that's true oh completely true but it isn't just my gosh this person is coming in earlier staying later doing great work it's not they don't need to necessarily celebrate themselves the best leaders i've seen create the conditions under which other people can do their best work and they'll make sure to celebrate that really good work look at what this person's doing also look at how this person is buttressing and acknowledging the great work of others which is really if we're getting into small businesses and entrepreneurs that are trying to nurture a really healthy culture when i've been around it I'm dazzled by it. Really great leaders don't want to let the people down. What is it that they're doing? Part of it is their recognition and appreciation of the great work that's coming from others. It's recognition that comes from a genuine understanding, not just giving out a plaque. It's really understanding the details and acknowledging the work they put in and the specific contributions they made that I find makes the biggest difference. Has that been the case for you? I'm in complete agreement with you. It's not the plaque. It is the, yes, this person really gets what I have done. It's not just the GI, it's genuine understanding of the contributions that's been made. It's funny, again, my interest these days is around data visualization, but listening to your podcast and this discussion, I'm enjoying thinking about the people that I've run into in the course of various interactions who, wow, did this incredibly well. And what was the situation that they created to just get so many people to produce such great work under difficult conditions? Yeah, those are often the, the set of criteria that creates great work. It's a difficult challenge. You don't have ample resources and you learn to innovate. You learn to create things that don't exist in order to succeed under tight situations. We've all had those experiences, I know for sure. Steve, you wrote a book on data visualization and as of this morning, lists more than 5,000 books with data visualization in the title. Who did you write this book for and what else makes it distinctive in such a crowded market? One has to convince a publisher if you're not self-publishing that I didn't realize there were quite 5,000 books. It's but better I, to know that after you've published rather than before. It could be daunting. <laughs> yes, you, you haven't lied to me yet, Bill, so I don't think you're lying about this. It came from observations and giving workshops around the big book of dashboards. There's a book that I wrote with Andy Cockreave, Jeff Schaefer, and it's geared towards a data visualization practitioner. And giving these workshops, I would always have this fear with the opening part of it, which is the fundamentals of data visualization. The fear was, doesn't everybody already know this stuff? Some of them very experienced practitioners. And it became clear five minutes in, oh my gosh, there's a whole bunch of really simple, basic stuff that they haven't been exposed to. They may be amazing graphic designers, but some of the fundamental concepts of data visualization, why on earth do we see so many bar charts and notions of pre-attentive attributes, the stomp theory, all these different things was new to them. The other was almost to it frustrations of the participants that so many people in their organizations did not buy into data visualization, the transform 
transformative power of data visualization when done well, that I have this amalgam of every client, every stakeholder, every colleague that I've had in the last 15, 16 years. And it's a really scary looking guy smoking a cigar. And he says, you can have my spreadsheet when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. I've got that page in the big picture. And it's, hey, there's nothing your visualization is going to give me that the spreadsheet won't. I just want the spreadsheet. And my gosh, things you're going to miss and how much more time you have to spend. Time to insight, which is the table full of numbers. Humans are not good at just looking at a table full of numbers. And which number is the biggest? Which one's the smallest? It's going to take you 25 seconds and 20% of the time you're going to make a mistake. Good data visualization is going to take two seconds. You're going to get it right every time. A couple of issues about that is that people will cling to a tool that they're familiar with rather than explore or expand their repertoire because they're afraid of losing their authority. They're afraid of looking foolish, but we all have to go through that phase of being a beginner again when we get into this new area. Isn't that something you cover in those workshops? Oh gosh, you're, you're nailing it. Part of it is the discomfort with something, the data non-confident and also a leader not wanting to look foolish in front of others. I mentioned that this fourth grade teacher and I embrace literacy. There's a whole initiative to get organizations and people within it to embrace data literacy. Some of my colleagues don't like using that term because, gee, no one wants to come off as illiterate. So they'll say they want to use the term data fluency. So let's make a, oh, we want to make people fluent in this. I've said, look, why don't we compromise instead of data literacy and, and data fluency, let's just call it data lunacy and we should be fine with, but this notion of everyone in the organization should be fluent in being able to read and interpret simple charts and graphs. And it's not that difficult. Now, I'm not talking about creating these things. Being really good at that, that's like practicing any great craft. You're constantly evolving, coming up with better approaches. What's going to get people to seize this thing, to possibly change their behavior, to change their opinion, to notice something they've never noticed before? That is the practitioner is constantly trying to create it. But I'm just trying to get everybody in the organization and just raise data fluent, their graphicacy, the ability to read and understand charts, because it is a game changer. You're just going to notice things that you you hadn't noticed before, you're going to be able to come to conclusions faster. And as the whole thesis of this, the whole reason of it is you will make better decisions faster. Now, this goes beyond the book, but I'm curious if you ever took a stab at writing what the standards would be for being data fluent or data literate or with data visualization literacy. Have you taken a stab at that and said, here are the criteria you have to be able to prove. And then once you prove it, you're data literate. Boy, there's a bunch of stuff that is incubated at the moment. So this is top of mind, but someone challenged me. Imagine you had 45 minutes to give a presentation to senior leadership at some big company. I know a lot of the listeners here, small organizations, but you're trying to convince the muckamuck someplace that they need to invest in making people in their organization data fluent and comfortable with charts and graphs, the, the fluent in the language of this. You've got 45 minutes to do it. And I've been thinking about, okay, I think I can do it. I got good stuff, good material. What would be three criteria that you would do? Because everyone listening here wants to know what those decision makers would need in order to convince them, because we want people to be able to use it and be a step or two ahead of those leaders. The first thing would be we need to assess 
where your organization is. Maybe you're really good at this stuff. Maybe you're horrible at it compared to others within this field. Figure that out. To be honest, I have a sense of what I'd ask. These are things that are covered in my book, The Big Picture. These are things that are covered brilliantly in Alberto Cairo's How Charts, which is more towards trying to create more informed citizens to understand when they're being hoodwinked and bamboozled by charts, whether they're coming from Victor Orban or from the Biden White House. And data visualization, the way that a drunk uses as a light post, more for support than illumination. That's pretty good. I hadn't heard that one before, Bill. There's a reason why we see so many bar charts. This would be like one of the things that I would tell the executive. I'd probably start with a little bit of peer pressure, various reports saying organizations that are good at this stuff greatly outperform those that aren't in terms of innovation, in terms of profit margin, in terms of employee retention and things like that. There are dozens of these things. I'm trying to find ones that were not commissioned by tool vendors who are just trying to sell their tools. But hey, here's some legitimate stuff. If you're not doing this, your competition that is doing this is going to, okay, so that would be number one. The second would be simple examples of look how much harder this is with your beloved spreadsheet that my co-authors on the Big Book of Dashboards and I discuss the highlight table as being what we call the gateway drug to data visualization. It's just a color-coded spreadsheet. Here are all the numbers. Now I'm going to color-code them intelligently, not this you know, morass of red, green, and yellow. It's not coloring them manually, but setting up some sort of system, like a conditional code, to be able to sort them and color them based upon ranges or outcomes of the data. Precisely. For the Excelians out there, this is just, if you're thinking, what's the big deal? This is just conditional formatting. That's what it's called in Excel. In Tableau, it's called a, a highlight table. But this thing that would take 25 seconds and 20% of the time you get it wrong. Now I'm going to turn it's just, it's still your beloved numbers, but I'm going to add this to it, which is this color component. It's, oh my God, this task just became way easier. But then I'll ask some questions, very reasonable questions about the same data, which you can't answer just by color coding a bunch of numbers. But I'll say, hey, I can build this thing called the marginal histogram, which is call it a bar chart with really fat bars. That's not what it is, but that's what it looks like. Now you have answers to all these questions and you've taken them from, all right, start with the thing that you know and love and can read. But now you're seeing, oh, it took me a while. Do a little something to it, which now, oh my gosh, you didn't take the thing that I love away, but you made it better. You've now buttressed it with this type of chart, which is remarkably easy to interpret. That's the whole reason why we see so many bar charts is humans without any training are remarkably good at comparing the length of bars that have a common baseline. I can say, hey, that looks to be about twice as big as this. Hey, that looks to be four times as big. Oh, that's only just a little bit big. Those are questions you often want to answer. And here is this thing, this gift to you, which is you don't need any training and you can just do it right out of the chute and be good at it. If I could just get organizations to just embrace bar charts and add them to their spreadsheets, there's probably a bunch of stuff that would just jump out. Let's yeah. set out what the difference is between data storytelling and data literacy. What are some of the key distinctions to go from just being literate, like we've just described, to being able to use data to tell a story or make a decision? I've got a whole presentation around what is data visualization, what is data storytelling, what's an infographic, and why do we need data? Dashboards. What's a dashboard? Where does this fit into it? Data visualization is using images or graphs to help people see things they would not have seen otherwise, to help them discover insights that may have remained hidden. Data storytelling is how you choose
use to communicate the insights you found with data visualization. It's usually just more than the graph. It may be something that unfolds over a sequence of three or four slides. Maybe it's a really compelling title and an annotation layer, an arrow pointing to something, hey, this one's stupid, that type of thing. There's the visualization itself and there is the curation that goes with it, the how am I choosing to communicate this important thing that I found. A dashboard, I think, is just a tool to find really great insights quickly. I don't think you're going to use a dashboard to tell stories. And then an infographic, is it Justice Potter Stewart who said about pornography when asked to define it? He said, hey, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. I realized, oh my gosh, I don't know if I have a really tight definition of what an infographic is, although I recommend Randy Crum's book, Cool Infographics. There are four components that you talk about as setting the stage for effective data visualization within an organization. And you say, somebody's got to know the data. That's one. Two, somebody has to know the tool that you're going to use really well. Three, you have to have stakeholders to help steer and say what decisions need to be made or what ways are we going to use this to support business decision making. And then fourth is the ability to, to iterate quickly so that as you get feedback from others, you're able to change what the dashboard says or what the visualization is doing. Can you share an example of where you consulted with an organization that wanted to embrace data visualization and get the big picture? Referring to why collaboration is so important, which is one of the chapters of the book, I didn't buy into this until I saw it in play. I thought, okay, you have someone who's really good at data visualization, he or she or they are going to go off into a corner, do their thing, come out the other side and go, look at this brilliant thing. Now you are going to use it and you are going to be elucidated. That's not how this stuff works. In your book, you talk about working with Troy Magnus and he's the president of Focused Objective and it's a, a small business located outside of Seattle. And he wanted you to work with a team or his client based in Nashville who were really smart people. They had knew what their data was. They just didn't use any of the tools or the techniques to communicate and extract those insights from the data. Can you share that story? Yeah, Troy McGinnis. And he read a clinic on how to do this. What they had was they were going to be embedding these visualizations, these dashboards as part of their product. They had to look and work great. Smart people, dedicated people, but they didn't really understand what would be the best way to show this data so that the people who need it can go, aha, I get it. I really thought this was going to be a lowest common denominator type of thing. I'm going to come in there. I'm going to show them how to use this tool, but I'm also going to bring them up to speed with data visualization. But you'd have people saying, hey, I want 3D pie charts, which are not a very good way to sh share data, even though they certainly they're, they're so flashy. They are so, so flashy, but no one's, you know, eventually they're going to realize, yeah, but I can't tell anything from it, but it does look cool. I was coming in as a, all right, I know the tool that they were using. They were iterating quickly with Tableau. When we get feedback, we go, oh, that's a really good point. All right, give us a little time. We'll, we'll reconvene in an hour and we're going to try your idea. I was coming in adept at that, but more importantly, adept at, oh, if you have this data, if you show it this way, people are going to go, now I see it. Your people who knew the data inside and out. So, so what field's responsible for this? Oh, it's this field from the database. Didn't have to spend days getting up to speed with it. But then you had the marketing people, the salespeople, you had senior executives, and you had some stakeholders who would be using this thing. What do they need to see? What is important to them? What do they care about versus that's a lovely thing, but I don't need to look at that measure. Or, yeah. Or stuff that's clear to me, I'm a professional chart looker at, it, and there, there are very few charts that I can't parse or figure out. 
now. There are certain things where, oh, I see immediately what's going on and other people may be lost. And I'm going, well, why didn't you see that? Oh, I got confused by this. Oh, that's interesting. You're right. I can see how that could be confusing. Hold on. Let me make this change. And it's, oh my God, this is so much better. When you look back on this experience, Steve, what were some of the important things that were set up that allowed you to be effective during those two days where you made a lot of progress? But was it that the stakeholders had said, by the end of this two-day workshop, we want to be able to make these decisions. And they gave you a list of decisions that needed to be made. So at least you had a target to focus on. Bill, you got to remember, I came into thinking, this is going to be a disaster. This is just going to be dashboard by committee. You've probably heard the aphorism, camel was a horse designed by a committee. And I thought, this is just not going to work. I don't buy into this. And Troy said, no, I think we're going to be able to accomplish a lot in a short amount of time. And I was dazzled by it. There wasn't this, yeah, two days later, you know, I'm going to come in on a Monday morning. I'm going to leave Tuesday afternoon. The difference is going to be night and day in this thing. It said, okay, let's see what we can accomplish with this. And what so you came in. in with trepidation and came out more impressed with what you were able to accomplish than maybe they did because your expectations are so low. I said, I'm absolutely willing to give it a try. If nothing else, they'll have a better understanding of data visualization. I now had a way better understanding of how people who are not as way into charts, look at charts and also what's important to their business and what are the issues that the particular problems and concerns of people around this particular market or this particular niche. But also around the same time I was working on the big book of dashboards and was getting feedback from my co-authors. I was trying to build a dashboard that was showing the two places churn show up. One is in human resources. How many people are coming into the company? How many people are leaving? How many people are being promoted? How many people are being fired? How many people will leave because they're not happy? And how do we show that? The other subscriber churn. How many people are signing up for this podcast? How many people are leaving? How many people want our service? How many people are renewing, etc.? How do you show that? It was hard. And it was the feedback from my co-authors and people were interested in this particular problem were showing churn and it was so much better than what I would have done on my own. Great examples. You're going to be hearing a lot about this. There's a book coming out that Seth Godin spearhead. It's called The Carbon Almanac. It's not too late. It's a book of facts, connection, and action around climate change. And 200 plus people were authoring this book. And I saw charts metamorphose during this process. I was one of many people creating charts and graphs for this thing. Not that I could tell you what is there a different between a chart and a graph. Let's go off on a totally useless tangent on that one. The stuff where it started and how it ended, and you had people who were open-minded about this, and you had smart stakeholders saying, hey, I'm not seeing it the same way you are. Oh, good point about this. So much better than stuff that would have come up with independently. And I'm good at this stuff. I think all the people who were on this were good at this stuff, but getting feedback, part of it was because we weren't trying to create, this wasn't like a band that's going to break up because they're having a artistic differences and someone says, hey man, I want to play jazz. None of this pop crap. Everyone was concerned about clarity. It's taken me 15 years to reduce everything I do down to a single sentence, but my job in data visualization and for anyone that practices it, you are here to provide the greatest degree of understanding with the least amount of effort. The least amount of effort for your stakeholders. You may have to work your ass off, but your gig is get them the greatest degree of understanding with the least amount of effort. The effort we're talking about is cognitive load, being able to look at something and quickly get it rather than having to labor through it in order to gain the insights. I'm a big believer in fast fizz versus visualization. There are others who say, oh, but there's so much more that you can learn from spending a lot of time and say, agreed. But that's the difference between clear, concise business communication 
versus the poetry of John Keats. This is the, the, hey, that's great. Spend time with it. Appreciate the nuances of it. But I don't think that's usually what you're trying to get from business insights from a dashboard. There's an element of it that is elegant with a great visualization without having to have a lot of prose or the flowery curly cues of poetry. But it's just sublime in being able to truly represent a picture being worth a thousand words. My favorite chapter in the book, I don't think it's anyone else's favorite, is chapter eight, where I take on one of the supposed Mona Lisa of all data visualizations, this chart that Charles Menard made in 1869. I have a lot of problems with it being placed on the pedestal that it's on. There's a fellow within data visualization who's very famous. His name is Edward Tufte. He wrote a seminal work in 1983 called The Visual Display of Quantitative Data, and it's a wonderful book. In it, he wrote that this chart, this figurative map created by Charles Menard, who was a civil engineer, and this chart was done as a hobby. All his other stuff was just charts he created so that he was a better civil engineer. In any case, it shows that Napoleon's failed attempt to conquer Moscow between 1812 and 1813. Tufte said this may be the greatest statistical graph ever drawn. Now, a lot of people have parroted that and they're thinking, oh, look at this thing. This famous guy is holding up this chart, which no one can understand without explaining how to read it. Someone has to take you through, here's what's going on with it. This is what's happening with it. Here's how you interpret it. And now, okay, congratulations. You've cracked the code, the secret handshake. I defy anyone to look at this thing and go, okay, how am I going to use something like this in my organization tomorrow? The answer is you're not. This is a one-off for one thing, for a particular audience at a particular time, and trying to adopt this to your modern business work is a dumb idea. Get your professional ire at people just mimicking Edward Tufte's praise of this document. It's every time that somebody says that communication is only 15% verbal and 45% through the intonation and 40% nonverbal gestures. I say, let's nonsense. Otherwise, we would all understand foreign languages. But they quote this UCLA study inappropriately because it was in situations where it's ambiguous. I actually went back and found the study. And so you're just missing a few sentences to give it the context it needs. But the ripple effect of it just loses all of that context and all of that meaning. And people continue to parrot it because someone famous had parroted it. In all your descriptions of color in the big picture, my favorite was when you said that collaboration isn't best. I'm saying blue and you're saying red and let's agree on purple. That's compromise. Collaboration is when you make something newer and better than either of us would have come up with separately. That's really important because it's not just meeting in the middle. So many issues come about when people think that we just compromise and the definition of compromise in itself is often misquoted. It's a good compromise when neither of us are happy. That doesn't work in data visualizations. Could you expand on that context, please? It's a funny story behind that. I really thought somebody else said that because I woke up one morning and going, oh, I say blue, you say red, we'll compromise. And I was sure it was somebody else. Then you went to find the source. <laughs> I tried to find this. I thought, yeah, I think Stephen Sondheim said that. Let me ask one of my players, you know, something about collaboration versus compromise. And I spent a lot of time looking for it and realized, no, this seems to be mine. Well, I appreciate you citing it. In, in this case, when, you know, this is not, hey, this is my view on things. It's not art. It is we are trying to come up with something which is going to be a 
better way to communicate a fact or an idea. In fact, maybe we want someone to feel something from it, which is a very effective data visualization may have an emotional component to it. The what is going to make this thing really work so it ends and having good collaborators, you'll just make better work. I've just seen that consistently with hosting chart chat, with working on the big book of dashboards. And anytime I've got a visualization, which is reasonably high stakes, I ask for feedback. Am I missing something here? Is there a better way to show this? Is it clear? Do I need more instructions of what's missing on this thing? I'm going to ask you now whether you're willing to go into an area to discover more and share about yourself. Are you ready for the my quest for the best lightning round? Oh my gosh, is anyone ever fully ready for that bill? I'll do my best. Steve, as a teenager, what is the song that you love? I know, as a teenager, anything by the Beatles, pretty much, with the exception of maybe Revolution Number 9. I would say Nowhere Man. Just love the opening three-part harmony of that, the acapella harmony. What's the most interesting or challenging aspect of your monthly chart chat? Making sure it's at least as good as the previous one that we had. We go back and forth between sometimes just the four of us jamming about stuff that we've seen out in the wild. Hey, is this a great chart? Is it misleading? Is this stuff other people should do? Other times we have guests that are appearing on the show and preparing and making sure that they crush it, which they have consistently. Some of the people that we've had present their work and, and look behind the scenes on how they've made some of this uh, stuff. Some of the heroes within data visualization, um, just trying to make sure that we keep the quality of this thing. Fortunately, it's only once a month. We tried to do it more often than that. As an advocate of data visualization, you must track metrics in your own business. What are the top metrics or KPIs you use to track and chart success in your own business? Oh, gosh. The one, I spend a little too much time looking at Amazon book rank for stuff. I've got a pretty good sense of the web traffic that I get and what people are looking at and how often. At this point, if I have a new workshop or new offering, I'll have surveys saying, hey, what did you think of it? What can I do to make it better? On some of the ones that have been around for a while, I think I've gotten, you know, I don't think I can make them much better. The newer ones, oh yeah, I can make this stuff better. It's mostly encouraging people to tell me what's bad so I can make it better. What is an aspect of the data visualization field that inspires you today? When people see and they change their behavior based on what you've shown them. One last question on the lightning round. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? Oh, it's when I went off of Facebook for a year. What did you find having done that? I really missed time suck and feeling terrible about myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will confess, I will sometimes dip in and then very quickly reminded, this is not healthy for me. I'm not saying for other people, maybe it's great. It's nurturing time well spent, not spending it there. This has been time well spent here. And I want to thank you, Steve, for sharing your insights and your perspective in such a generous way. We talked about Mario Marassi, your fourth grade music teacher, who really took an interest in you and the difference that made the ripple effect by giving you additional books and asking more of you than others simply because he saw that you were ready for it. I want to thank you for sharing and normalizing the fact that many people within organizations are frustrated that others don't get data visualization and how important it is to pay attention and become 
data fluent, data literate, and be able to create data visualizations in order to share information and help people make decisions faster. We talked about many aspects of this, and I think looking over it, the idea of where the opportunities are, as well as areas where you might be losing customers due to churn, like you were talking about, are really important for people to look at. And I want to thank you so much for joining me and sharing these insights. Bill, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me here and for the folks that have been listening. Thanks for your time and attention. Steve, before we say goodbye for now, where is the people can find out more about you and your work online. The easiest place is just go to datarevelations.com and you can follow me on Twitter at Data Revelations. Well, Steve, we're going to link to datarevelations.com as well as your social media, as well as places to buy the book. In fact, all of your books so that people keep up with what's going on in the world of data visualization and learning from you. So once again, thank you for joining me today on My Quest for the Best. Thank you so much, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.